For our scripture reading this morning, we'll turn to the book of Joshua, Joshua chapter 6 and, and, and verse, uh, chapter 7, well, just a few verses from chapter 6. This morning we'll be looking at the 10th commandment, you shall not covet, and this account in the book of Joshua speaks of how Achan coveted and stole some belongings. Joshua comes after the books of Moses, after Deuteronomy, before Judges. Joshua chapter 6, and we'll read just verses 18 and 19 from chapter 6. And this is where the Lord commands Israel what they were to do. So verse 18 of of chapter 6. And you, by all means, abstain from the accursed things, lest you become accursed when you take of the accursed things and make the camp of Israel a curse and trouble it. But all the silver and gold and vessels of bronze and iron are consecrated to the Lord, and they shall come into the treasury of the Lord. So here the Lord commanded that when they were going to conquer Jericho, they were not to take any of the possessions for themselves. Now turning Uh, beginning at chapter 7, verse 1. But the children of Israel committed a trespass regarding the accursed things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed things. So the anger of the Lord burned against the children of Israel. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is beside Beth-Avon, on the east side of Bethel, and spoke to them, saying, Go up and spy out the country. So the men went up and spied out I. So they returned to Joshua and said to him, Do not let all the people go up, but let about two or three thousand men go up and attack I. Do not weary all the people there, for the people of I are few. So about three thousand men went up there from the people, But they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai struck down about 36 men, for they chased them from before the gates as far as Shebarim and struck them down on the descent. Therefore the hearts of the people melted and became like water. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until evening. He and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us? Oh, that we had been content and dwelt on the other side of the Jordan. O Lord, what shall I say when Israel turns his back before its enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear it and surround us and cut off our name from the earth. Then what will you do for your great name? So the Lord said to Joshua, Get up. Why do you lie thus on your face? Israel has sinned, and they have also transgressed my covenant which I commanded them. For they have even taken some of the accursed things, and have both stolen and deceived, and they have also put it among their own stuff. Therefore the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, but turned their backs before their enemies, because they have become doomed to destruction." Neither will I be with you any more, unless you destroy the accursed from among you. 
Get up, sanctify the people, and say, Sanctify yourselves for tomorrow. Because thus says the Lord God of Israel, There is an accursed thing in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the accursed thing from among you. In the morning, therefore, you shall be brought according to your tribes, and it shall be that the tribe which the Lord takes shall come according to families, and the family which the Lord takes shall come by households, and the household which the Lord takes shall come man by man. And then it shall be that he who is taken with the accursed thing shall be burned with fire, he and all that he has, because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord, because he has done a disgraceful thing in Israel. So Joshua rose early in the morning and brought Israel by their tribes, and the tribe of Judah was taken. He brought the clan of Judah, and he took the families of the Zarhites, and he brought the family of the Zarhites man by man, and Zabdi was taken. Then he brought the household man by man, and Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, was taken. Now Joshua said to Achan, My son, I beg you, give glory to the Lord God of Israel, and make confession to him, and tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. And Achan answered Joshua and said, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel. And this is what I have done. When I saw among the spoils a beautiful Babylonian garment, 200 shekels of silver, and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and took them. And there they are, hidden in the earth in the midst of my tent with the silver under it. So Joshua sent messengers, and they ran to the tent, and there it was hidden in his tent with the silver under it. And they took them from the midst of the tent and brought them to Joshua and to all the children of Israel and laid them out before the Lord. Then Joshua and all Israel with them took Achan, the son of Zerah, the silver, the garment, the wedge of gold, his sons, his daughters, his oxen, his donkeys, his sheep, his tent, and all that he had. And they brought him to the valley of Acre. And Joshua said, Why have you troubled us? The Lord will trouble you this day. So all Israel stoned him with stones, and they burned them with fire after they had stoned them with stones. Then they raised over him a great heap of stones, still there to this day. So the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger, and therefore the name of that place has been called the Valley of Acre to this day. This far our scripture reading for this morning, and then in connection with the Tenth Commandment, we'll read uh, from Lord's Day 44, Lord's Day 44, in page 80 on the back of your Psalter. And here we read uh, question 113 of the Heidelberg Catechism, and it asks us, what does the Tenth Commandment require of us? The answer is, that even the smallest inclination or thought contrary to any of God's commandments never rise in our hearts, but that at all times we hate all sin with our whole heart and delight in all righteousness. Question 114. But can those who are converted to God perfectly keep these commandments? The answer is no. 
but even the holiest man, while in this life, have only a small beginning of disobedience, yet so that with a sincere resolution they begin to live, not only according to some, but all the commandments of God. In question 115, why will God then have the Ten Commandments so strictly preached, since no man in this life can keep them? The answer is, first, that all our lifetime we may learn more and more to know our sinful nature, and thus become the more earnest in seeking the remission of sin and righteousness in Christ. Likewise, that we constantly endeavor to pray to God for the grace of the Holy Spirit, that we may become more and more conformable to the image of God until we arrive at the perfection proposed to us in the life to come. Dear congregation, in Luke chapter 18 and verse 18, a rich young ruler came to the Lord Jesus and he asked him, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And so the Lord Jesus told him and said, you know the commandments, you shall not murder, you shall not kill, honor your father and your mother, do not bear false witness. And this man could say, I have kept all these from my youth up. And now as we come to the Tenth Commandment, after studying these commandments, do we dare say the same thing as this ruler? I have kept all these commandments from my youth up. But even if we think that we come close, even come close outwardly to keeping these commandments, Jesus uses this tenth one here to, to point to our hearts, like he does with the rich young ruler here, to, to enter the depths of our hearts. And Jesus says, you're still missing something. And he says to this young man, he says, go home and sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and you shall have inheritance in heaven, and come and follow me. And this man, he became very sad, very sorrowful, and he left the Lord Jesus. He, he loved his money so much he could not part with it. He could not give it away to the poor to follow Jesus. His money was more important to him than God. And the previous five commandments that we looked at, they all dealt with our, our actions or our words, what we, we, what we do. You're not supposed to steal. You're not supposed to bear false witness with your words, but... But this command, it focuses on the heart and it focuses on the mind and our desires before anything else happens. It probes into the depths of their heart to see if there's anything that we place more value on in this world than God. And so the 10th commandment, as we wish to look at this morning from Exodus 20 and verse 17, as we read, it says, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servants, nor his female servants, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's. And so you shall not covet is our theme for this morning. So what is coveting? What is coveting then? Well, coveting is an act of our desire. It's, it's our desire's that desire something that we may not have or 
desiring it in the wrong way to obtain it, desiring something in the wrong way. See, coveting is not just our desires itself, because there can be good desires as well as sinful desires, but the act of desiring is that, that craving, that desiring for something with a sinful desire. It sets a value on something more than it really is worth, and especially more than God. And so this, this coveting, it really comes from our, our emotions, it comes from our intellect, from, from, our, from our mind, and it comes from our, out of our heart. And here we can see that God's law, or we're reminded that God's law is a moral law. And when we think of this commandment, it shows us that we have a moral responsibility not only for what we do in this world, but also for what we think, for what is in our heart, for what we desire. And this command regulates even our hearts because that's where sin comes from. And that's why the Lord Jesus used this command to show that rich young ruler that he could not inherit heaven by keeping these commandments because sin lies deeper than, by, than in what we can do. His love and his desire showed that his heart was sinful, that his heart was not set on God. Now, there are other words in Scripture that seem to dig even deeper, and one of those words is concupiscence, and that, that really deals with, with those, those root desires, that, those desires that flow out of our heart even without us really thinking about them. And it shows that, that out of the heart flows so much evil. In an unsaved person, all these desires flow out of a corrupt heart, and it can, there is no good inclination, there's no good desire, for it's all inclined to sin. But even in believers, there is still that indwelling sin, that corrupt nature that still... Uh, uh, produces sinful desires as well as that new nature that begins to produce good desires according to God's Spirit. And so coveting then is, is always motivated by self-love. We covet because we want something. And most often that something belongs to somebody else because that's where we see it. And so coveting always places ourself first. It places ourself first. Instead of, as the law says, that we are to love God above all and our neighbor as ourself, we put ourself in the first place. And so that makes us jealous when we see somebody else having something that we want, or it makes us envy who they are, or what they are, or what they have. We can also see that as idolatry, placing anything. When we want something more than God, it becomes idolatry, replacing God, our, our highest good with anything in this world is idolatry. And so you ask, well, what are the things that we can, that we would covet? Well, anything in this, in this world, really. Anything that we desire to have, either possessions, uh, like property or, or goods that we can hold, but it could even be other people. It could be people or even positions that people hold. For example, children, if you're riding a, an old rusty bike and the handlebar is crooked and the brakes are squeaky and, and then your neighbor drives by on a brand new mountain bike with big tires and disc brakes and, and you look at his and suddenly you want that one because it looks better than yours. And so we covet things that are attractive. We, we covet things that are beautiful in their, in their appearance. 
And that's often how the Bible describes it as well, that the outward attractiveness makes us think there's a value in that for us. And the Bible speaks about desirable vineyards or, or houses or, or, or clothing or food. It even speaks about attractive people. And now when you, when you think of that, that list of, of goods, houses and vineyards and clothing and people, there's nothing wrong with that list of things. These are, all, these are all very good things. In fact, all good gifts come from God. A, a, a new bike is not a bad thing. A beautiful wife is not a bad thing. But these are good things. And so, when we then look at how we covet, we can look at some examples. So, we covet when we want something that we cannot have. And how do we know that we want something, children? How do we know that we want something? Well, we need to see it. We need to see it. How did you know that you, you wanted your neighbor's shiny bike? Wasn't it when he drove by and you saw that his bike was better than yours? Well, your bike was working just fine until, his, until he came by and then suddenly your bike was not good enough anymore. And then you begin to desire something that your neighbor has and that is coveting, that's that part is wrong. It's not wrong to desire a new bike. There's proper ways and right ways to go about finding a new bike if you need one. But if you only want a new bike because your neighbor has a nicer one, then it is coveting. Then it is wrong. So we need to determine if our desires are in line with God's Word. And first, we, we covet when we desire things that are strictly forbidden by God. We covet when we desire things that are forbidden by God because any desire that is contrary to God's will is sin. And this is where we read this morning of Achan. God had forbid them to take anything out of the city of Jericho. They were not allowed to take any of the spoils to keep it for themselves when they conquered Jericho. But Achan said... In Joshua 7, verse 21, he says, When I saw, when I saw that beautiful garments and that gold and that silver, then I coveted them and I took them. But God had forbidden them to touch it, and so this was forbidden by God. It had all been dedicated to the Lord, even though there's nothing wrong with the gold or the garments themselves, but it was forbidden for the people to have it. But when Achan saw it, he desired it. He desired to have it for himself. He coveted them. He craved it. He craved it so much that he would do anything to get it. And he stole and he hid it from the people. And that's because he, he placed more value on those goods than he did on God's law and on God himself. And so here we need to understand that the, the end of coveting, the end of the, the end goal of coveting is always to get what you desire. And that's why this commandment deals with the desire itself in our hearts. Because these desires, they never stop in the heart. They want to go further unless you stop the desire or kill the desire. And that's why this commandment focuses on the heart. Because these desires begin there and they must be stopped there. But secondly, we can also look at Eve in paradise 
God planted many beautiful trees, didn't he, in, in the Garden of Eden. And it says the, the trees were pleasant to the sight and good for food. And he commanded Adam that he could not eat from these trees. He could eat, sorry, he could eat from all these trees except for the one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But when Satan tempted Eve in Genesis 3 verse 6, it says when the woman saw the tree that it was good for food, that it was pleasant or desirable to the eyes, and the tree desirable to make one wise, she took of it. So Eve coveted this tree, this fruit was both desirable to the eye. It was good to look at, good for food, and it even was said to make one wise. So she desired it, but it was forbidden by God. And so here all sin, all sin uh, commanded... Uh, Everything commanded against in God's word, if you transgress God's word, it is sin. And if we think of marriage, for example, marrying outside of God's will would be sin. God says marriage is for one man and for one woman. And anything else outside of that stipulation of God would be sin. It also says that believers must marry in the Lord. And then so for a believer to be unequally yoked with an unbeliever is a sin. Desiring to marry outside of God's will is a sinful coveting. But then, secondly, we also covet by desiring things that belong to others or to, have some, to desire to obtain something wrongfully. If you remember the story we read about Ahab a few weeks ago now, Ahab was king of Judah and Jezebel was his wife. And right next to Ahab's palace was a nice vineyard that belonged to Naboth. And Ahab, he wanted that vineyard. And so he initially had the right approach. He went to Naboth and he asked, can I buy this vineyard or can I trade you for a better one? But Naboth said, no, it belongs to my inheritance. I cannot sell it. But Ahab coveted. He desired his vineyard so much he could not be happy without it. He went home. He would not eat. He, he became depressed. He would not talk to anybody. He went to his bed. And because he was coveting, he, he, he was craving to have this vineyard. And so his wife Jezebel went out of her way to, to have Naboth killed so that they could have the vineyard. Another example is David. And this one you could say fits in, in both these categories. David was walking on the roof of his palace and he looked over and saw Bathsheba, Bathsheba bathing on her roof. And he desired, he saw Bathsheba and he desired to have her as his own wife. Now God forbids adultery, so that itself is, is sin. She belongs to another man. But God also forbids us to look at other women or other people lustfully. So he begins with coveting in the heart. Because we look at the outward beauty and we desire that which does not belong to us. And even if we never act on those desires that arise up in our hearts, if, we are, if we're dwelling on those thoughts, even if we never act on them, and then we are comparing that person to our spouse or to our future spouse, it, it causes a discontentment. There, there is still a desire to have what you see. And that is sin. That is a coveting. Now back to this bike, children. If you want a nicer bike, 
only because your neighbor has a nicer bike than you, then it is wrong. Then you want a new bike because you're jealous of what your neighbor has, or you, you envy him that he has a nicer bike than you. That means you're not content with what you have yourself. Now, you are allowed to buy a new bike. There are ways to buy new bikes, to have one like your neighbor. The bike itself is not wrong, but it should never be so that we can have the nicer bike. It should never be to be the better person or to be the one that is more glamorous or even to keep up with our neighbors. So often that happens. People want the nicer car on the street, the nicer house, or the nicer vacation or or camper, all driven by a desire to be more or at least equal with our neighbors, a covetous desire. But then thirdly here we see that we covet when we value our possessions more than we value God. When we value our possessions more than God who gives them, it's idolatry. That rich young ruler that we heard of came to Jesus. He thought he had it all going for him. He was religious. He kept the commandments as best as he could. He was very rich, but he was covetous because he valued his money more than God. He could not give it up to follow God. He could not bear the thought of someone else having the money that he worked so hard to earn. And that's also a problem that we have to watch for here because we have so much prosperity in our own country. And we believe and we understand that all good gifts come from God. And, but the question is, where do we place our value? Is it really in God or is it really in our riches? And will we be able to part with our treasures if God would require us to do that? Because it can be easy to have the mindset of this rich young ruler that when we walk in our religion, we do the right things and, and our business is going well, then we credit everything to God for all His blessings, for how well things are going. We put God first and He will bless us and we, we, we walk with that mindset. But will God still be first in our hearts and minds when He puts us to the test? Many wealthy people have had to lose everything in this world. And then their faith is put to a test. Is God still their ultimate riches, their their wealth? Is God the most valuable possession in your life? Or will we also go away sorrowful, pursuing the things of this world instead of God? It's much better if God puts His finger on our sin now, like the rich young ruler as opposed to the foolish farmer, the other parable that the Lord told, who died. And that's why God said in Luke 12, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for your life does not consist in the abundance of the things that you possess. The rich farmer was covetous too. He thought his life consisted in the abundance that he possessed. He stored up all his his, his goods, he built bigger barns, his, his retirement savings, you could say, and he intended to enjoy life to the fullest. But that night he had to die, missing the only thing needful, dying without God. And so covetousness is sin because life does not consist in the possessions that we have. 
The rich young ruler and the foolish farmer both had everything heart could ever desire in this world, and yet they died without the one thing needed, eternal life. The true essence of their life was missing. They didn't have God. And so we need to ask ourselves daily, what is the desire of our heart? What do we desire that belongs to someone else? It could be so subtle. It could be a position in a company. It could be his status, his wage, or or a position, or the prestige. If only I can get that camper. If only I could have a, a vacation home like them. Or if only I could have a, a wife or a husband like them. So often our hearts desire things that belongs to others and we're not content with ourselves. But often we can learn to discern also when our desires are submitting to God's direction in their life or not. Or if we're proceeding at, at any cost. We, we want that no matter what it takes to get. And often that's the, the mentality in business here in this world that we, we get something at any cost. It might even be that you don't dare ask God for the fear that He would say no. You don't want to ask direction for this or that, even the simple things in your life, because you're afraid that that God might say no to your desires. We live in a culture that's so driven by materialism. It, it markets to your very desires. Everything is made to look desirable. Even that forbidden fruit is, is, is advertised as the most desirable thing in this world. And it makes you think that you cannot be happy unless you have it, unless you do it, unless you get it. It bombards you with images and, and ads that say your, your spouse needs to, be, be, need to look like this. It needs to have this standard of beauty. It needs to have this external desirability. Otherwise, it's not worth pursuing for you, not worth your time. And all this mentality and marketing in the world leads to discontentment in marriages and in hearts and homes and leads to inf- infidelity and divorce. It says your vehicles need to be of this caliber. You need to compare with your neighbors. Your houses need to be, meet this expectation. Your retirement savings need to be this large. And so everybody drives for these goals. And it makes you unhappy. It makes you discontent with what you have. It makes you overextend your mortgages to get something more than you're able to afford. You buy vehicles on multiple payments and or electronics to go with it. It leads to churches emptying out because people are so busy pursuing the world's picture of rest and, and relaxation instead of finding the rest in God. But they miss God. Covetousness replaces God who alone can give true contentment. And you notice that, that this brings us, this last commandment also circles us back to the first commandment. Where it says, you shall have no other gods before me. Because covetousness is a desire. A sinful desire. To have something in this world that you value more than God. It's a form of idolatry because it replaces God with something else. You look for your, you look for your happiness in the things of this world. And that's why Jesus pointed this young ruler, to the covetousness of his heart, that his heart was set on his riches. 
But Ephesians 5 says that covetousness is a sin that bars people out of heaven. For this you know, that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. The rich young ruler asked, how or what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus put his finger in his heart and showed him and said, you can't do anything. Our natural reaction also is to walk away sorrowful and to continue pursuing the things in this world that seem to make us happy. Jesus shows that our hearts are naturally inclined to sin. And as the Bible says, in our flesh dwells no good thing. And this 10th commandment shows that we have no hope of salvation in our own efforts, even if we thought we did good in the last five commandments. Here it shows us that outside of the Lord Jesus Christ, we have no hope. But our hope is only in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the Lord Jesus is pointing us to this commandment so that we would look away from this world, so that we would look away from the outward attraction and allurement of this world to find the beauty of God in the Lord Jesus Christ alone. And when we think of the Lord Jesus, how did he come on this, world, on this earth? He didn't come with an outward glamour and an attractiveness or a beauty. Even though a lot of the images that you see that try to picture the Lord Jesus, they, they try to picture him as some attractive young man. But he is the way, the truth, and the life. And Isaiah 53 said he has no form. No, there's no stately form. There's no comeliness. That means there's no splendor. And when we see him, there's no beauty. There's no outward appearance to desire that we should desire him, it says. And this word desire here in Isaiah 53 is the same root word as the word covet in the commandments. There's nothing attractive. There's nothing pleasing to the eye that would make us desire Christ. In fact, the very opposite is true. And that's why by nature no one seeks after God but after the things of this world. Isaiah 53 verse 3 says he was despised. He was rejected by men. We hid our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. We do not desire Christ as our most valued possession. In fact, we, we hide our faces from Him because we don't esteem Him. We don't value Him in this world. But by nature, we reject Him. Even the indwelling sin in believers it, it fights against us. It rejects Christ because the sin of covetousness desires beautiful things, attractive things that we can see, that we can hold on to. And that's why believers also continue to fall into sin. David was a believer, and yet when he stood on the roof of his palace and he looked at Bathsheba, he saw and he followed the desires of his heart, and it caused him to fall into sin. That's how Asaph in Psalm 73 becomes discouraged and with the difficulties of the Christian life because he sees the glamour of the world, he sees the beauty of the world, and yet he sees the hardships of Christians, and it made him discouraged. He was focused on the outward privileges of this world until he went to the sanctuary of God he says and then he saw God then he understood the end of the wicked and the end of all the riches in this world and then he understood who God was for his heart Christ is no beauty for a covetous heart the rich young ruler went away sorrowful and did not follow Christ but to the heart that is convicted of sin 
and of covetousness, to see that we are prone to stumble, prone and inclined to covet continually. Our thoughts so often, so quickly, it's so, so hard to distinguish that line between what's a good desire, what's a wrong desire. And we're so prone to follow the, the allurements of this world. It's for those hearts that Christ becomes a refuge, that Christ becomes your pleading ground, that Christ becomes your only help. And to, you, to them, to you, Christ becomes then everything. That's what Paul said, that, that he counted all his own efforts as lost and even considered everything he could do himself as, as nothing but dung, as a manure pile, so that he can gain the knowledge of the excellency of Christ. And sometimes God needs to pull us away from, from what we hold dear in this world so that we can give all our desire to him. We don't often want to part with our riches like this young ruler, but sometimes God needs to part us from our riches so that we realize that our life does not consist in the abundance of the things that we possess. Because so often we look for our life there in what we have, in what we can do, in what we can hold, in what we can see. But God takes our eyes off of the attractive things of this world to show us that the only real and lasting beauty is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then Christ becomes our delight, as Psalm 73 says, that there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you, as we'll hear more about this afternoon. And then you begin to realize, as Solomon wrote in the Song of Solomon, that Christ is the chief among 10,000, the most valuable one, the chief among 10,000, that one fruitful apple tree in the midst of a barren forest. And Paul could say that Christ for him is all and in all. And so this commandment, it really requires that all our desires see the true value of the object that we desire. The true value of the things in this world. The true value of Christ above all. And it is only by faith in Christ. Only according to the law of God. And only when it's done to the glory of God that our desires can truly be called good. Good desires or good works. And then Paul says in 1 Timothy 6, Now godliness with contentment is great gain. Why? Because we brought nothing into this world and it's certain we can carry nothing out of this world. And he says with these, having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. We are to be content with the things that God gives us for our daily lives. It's for this reason he teaches us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. And so whether we look for a partner in marriage, whether we look for a new vehicle or a home or a bike, nothing should surpass the value of Christ. Nothing should become a craving of our heart to set improper desires on something that doesn't have the value that it appears to have. Remember the story of Abraham when their flocks, his, and his nephew Lot, their flocks became so big that there was no room to have both 
their herds together. And so Abraham said, you choose the land where you want to go. And they were standing on the hill and Lot saw the greener pastures by Sodom and Gomorrah. And he says, I want those. And Abraham, who was the older, who had the authority and who had the seniority, and he could have chosen the, the place first, but he let Lot choose. And he chose to follow God. Abraham was content to go where the Lord would lead him. And so should we. His commandments say, you shall not covet. And in all that we do, is God first in our desires? And we have to confess how much we need the Lord Jesus Christ, who laid down his own riches and who humbled himself, who did not make himself of any reputation. He did not seek his own desires. But he came to do the will of his Father, even to the point of laying down his life on the cross for sinners. And it is only through him that our desires can be made right through his Spirit. Amen.